Hello, everyone. This is Tim Winders. Welcome to the Seek Go Create podcast. I want to welcome you. I've got a I've got a longtime friend. Sometimes we've been partners in business, worked on projects together. I consider him even a mentor in some areas. Uh, on the podcast today, I'll introduce him in just a moment. But before I do, I just want to continue thanking all of you for listening into this podcast. We are getting such great reviews and results, and people sharing it. And I just want to to encourage you to continue doing that. It is just really a blessing to us that you're that you're enjoying this to the extent that you would like to share it with others. Keep doing that. We thank you for that. Well, today is when I first started the Seek Go Create podcast. I made a list of people that I just thought it would be awesome to get them on mic. Let uh, let us just have a conversation, record it, and you listen in. And this guy was one of the first ones that I listed out. Jonathan Patton and I have known each other for going on 20 years, and we know things about each other that we probably will never share with anyone else. Um, I don't think we'll do that on the podcast today, but uh, anyway, he has, I, I mean, he's been an entrepreneur, successful investor. He has had extremely highs and, and some lows that we might discuss in business today. He is a family man. And, and in a little while, I'll even ask him to tell more about where he's currently living right now. So, Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Tim, it's great to see you, my friend, and thanks for having me. This is so exciting to uh, reconnect in this way. Yeah, it's very exciting. And even before we pushed record, I kind of warned Jonathan. I said, you know what? Before you and I just catch up, since it's been a few months since we've talked, we're going to push record and we're going to play catch up with everybody else listening. So I think it'll be kind of, could be fun for people. Let's hope we're not uh, opening up uh, something that could be dangerous here. So, but um, listen, uh, you've got so many things going on. We're going to cover them right now. You're the managing partner for Trivium Strategic Capital. You are in a country that I'm I'm not going to reveal until just a few moments. But before I really get into that, I just like to have people say in their own words, I don't know if it's an elevator speech or your pitch, but what do you do right now? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great question. A lot of times uh, my wife gets asked that question. And she often doesn't know how to answer it. It has to, We have to talk about this every few months, it seems like. But no, I think probably the easiest way for me to answer that question, Tim, is um, what we do is we help founders of companies, uh, really ones that feel like they're being led or they've got a vision or they may be called to something that uh, just seems kind of crazy and maybe a lot bigger than um, how they envision they could actually accomplish it. So maybe they don't feel like they have the expertise or they don't have the funding uh, to accomplish what the vision is. And that's really where we get involved. We like to come behind founders. Uh, we help them do three things. We help them to seek um, if they have a spiritual background, they help, we help them to seek God. If, if, if they don't have that background, we help them to kind of find their purpose. Uh, number two, we help them to get the funding that's required uh, for them to fulfill their calling. And then number three, we help them to go big, actually go to market and expand their market, uh, go international if they're trying to go international. And uh, those are the areas we work with founders. So that's, that's where I spend most of my time. Excellent. And, uh, Anyway, there's, there's a lot of questions I have that, but I'm going to try to pause because before I do, I would like for you to tell our audience where you are physically located now and maybe give us a little bit of the story of how you ended up there. Because when we first met, 
I was a Georgia boy. You were over in South Carolina. We were some good old, you know, boys in the South. That's where we'd been and all that. And, uh, and we enjoyed that and loved that. But now both you and I are kind of expanding our horizons. Where are you? Absolutely. Well, um, interestingly enough, uh, about seven months ago, my wife and uh, our three children, Anne and our three kids, JD, Charlotte, and Emily, we moved to New Zealand. So we're living in the Bay of Plenty now, which I just love. I love every time I say that name, I just love the name, you know, the Bay of Plenty. Um, but uh, we're about three hours southeast of Auckland on the North Island. And um, kind of, you want me to share a little bit of the story of how we got here? Yeah, go, go ahead and tell us, I mean, because that would be my next question, because how does a guy that spent time in the South, and I know you went, you know, via Austin, Texas, all of a sudden end up New Zealand. We've traveled there. I know a little bit about the area, and that's a really cool area you're in. It's not something that you would just stumble upon and roll out of bed and say, hey, let's move to New Zealand. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. It was, it was never on our radar until a few years ago. So kind of for us, um, it all started through one relationship. We had a pretty good friend who moved over here about five years ago. Uh, our kids all went to school together. And uh, I had started getting to know Logan uh, for about a year before that. And he was kind of on this adventure uh, exploring where in the world he wanted to get dual citizenship. And uh, he would come back from these trips and we'd, we'd meet and he was a big gold guy. And you, you remember we built a mining company up in Alaska. That was one of the seasons of kind of um, work that we did. And so he was involved uh, in some conversations with us around that. And basically he came back and said, look, I, I think we found New Zealand. And within a few months they had moved. So it was a pretty quick move for them. He comes back a year later and tells me about this project that he's put together down here. And it really got my attention. It's a, basically a land banking uh, project, investing in land here in the Bay of Plenty. Hmm. And uh, I was pretty interested. We came on an exploratory trip and started uh, a partnership with him shortly after that. So this was almost uh, three years ago now. And uh, we were kind of the, the backstory. We were hoping and kind of praying and planning that we would be able to transition a couple years ago. But uh, when they changed governments uh, a couple years back, it became much more complicated to get foreign investment in. And we were planning on funding the project uh, with uh, institutional capital out of the U.S. And so when that happened, it kind of slowed everything down. And we went through this season of like, you know, for about a year and a half, uh, everything got slow. We tried to keep it alive, but it became challenging. We didn't know if it was going to happen. And then through a series of events about a year ago, uh, I was at an event in Seattle and um, it was really funny because it was the, it was the weekend going into the event. The big thing kind of on my heart was, you know what, it's time to just fully re release this whole New Zealand idea because <laughs> this just hasn't happened. You know, I've tried for two and a half years. We'd love to go do it. We felt like there was a desire from God around it, but it just hasn't happened, you know. So sure enough, that's like the first day of, it's a four-day event without kids, me and my wife. And like, I'm just like processing, praying through all this the first day. And literally the next day we go to dinner and um, I, I thought I saw a friend, a private equity guy I knew from Austin. And I walk over to him at dinner and I tap on the shoulder. He turns around, that's, that's not him. I said, man, you look familiar. Where do I know you from? He's like, oh, you, you were the guy that was at my house about eight months ago in Colorado. I actually lived in Colorado Springs. Um, and he said, you were, you were with your partner, uh, Kay Hiramine, and you were moving to New Zealand. 
And I'm thinking in my head, like, oh, this is the last thing I want to talk about right now. <laughs> I don't want to tell the New Zealand failure story right this minute. You know, we tried for two and a half years. It didn't happen. And uh, he's like, you know, when I met you, I meant to introduce you to a good friend of mine in New Zealand. And he's actually at this event. So let me introduce you. So he walks me over. Uh, long story short, connects me with a guy that... Uh, Greg Fleming that I started to get to know, made a few trips more over, and we were able to get initial capital from some of his relationships locally, so we didn't have to go through the whole foreign investor stuff. So anyway, it was just, uh, it was quite the adventure. And then uh, this summer, uh, yeah, we, we, we basically were able to make the full-time transition with the family, and here we are. So gosh, there's a lot of questions from what you just said that came up, because right. you you mentioned second citizenship and all, which is very intriguing to me in a lot of ways. But before I do that, a lot of our listeners, you know, we we talk about travel and being nomads and kind of stretching ourselves and doing things beyond the traditional way of doing things in in life. And I think the first thing that might come across some of those people's minds would be, okay, you've got a wife, you've got children, they might have been in school and all that. So tell us about uh, a move. Literally, it literally is on the other side of the world. If anyone really looks, you are on the opposite side of the world. For I'm currently in Colorado, just outside of Colorado Springs, like you just uh, referenced, and you're in the Bay of Plenty. That does sound good, rolls off the tongue, New Zealand. Um how do you go through that process with your family, your children, with, with let's say, extended family that I, I know you, they probably already think you're a little bit off anyway. Not a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I've been in that category for a while. <laughs> so how, do they, how does Ann and JD and the, other, and the kids, how do they deal with this? Yeah. Well, you know, um, interestingly, I, would, I mean, look, there's, there's some real, there's some hard parts of making an international move. I mean, that's just, just the reality. I, I will say, I think looking back on it, um, kind of my expectation of how difficult it would be and like how challenging, especially for the kids and relationships and things like that. Um, I guess I just, I, I thought it would be a lot more difficult than it actually was. I think kind of being seven months into it on our side and, you know, if Ann was with me right now, she would say the same thing is it's, it, it, you know, the beginning was pretty hard because it was, it was just a lot of just, just the couple months of getting, you know, set up in a new country and everything that goes with that. That, that, There's a lot that goes in and you don't feel like you're effective at, you know, maybe your job or whatever you're trying to do because you got all this other transition you're managing. Um, But really beyond that, it was, uh, it's really been a a really good transition. I mean, our kids, um, they actually like school better here than they did um, in the States. I mean, that's what they say is it's a, a bit of a different culture here, as you know, because you spent some time down here, but um, they're enjoying it. They're making friends. Um, you know, we, one of the things for us is we were able to, to move onto a property. We're on 28 acres up in the mountains and we overlook the Pacific ocean here. So it's a, uh, you know, in, in, in Austin, just our situation, we lived on a, golf course there in a suburb which was great we loved the area but you know we were we were dreaming about getting onto some land and kind of having a different you know vibe for the kids and we shouldn't know it was going to be in New Zealand so uh here we are <laughs> so so they're adapting well and they're loving it now one thing about New Zealand for us observation you can correct me if I'm wrong but 
it seemed to be, I don't know if simpler is the right word. I, it, it, I sort of felt like I was going back in time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm older than you. Not, we won't talk about how much, but, you know, like I grew up in the 70s, you know, outside of Atlanta in a little suburb. And it felt a little bit like, I mean, there's 4 million people. It's the same number of people in Atlanta, you know, so or something like that, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, I think, 4.7, 4.8. Yeah, not not a huge amount of people. You've got the land mass is about the size of Colorado, actually, as far as land. But um, yeah, it's a very, uh, you know, we, we really like the people here. We like the culture, but it's, you know, very often we're, we sit there and think it's just, it's such a different dynamic than the States, you know, and, and how, how, like how so, how so, give me some specifics. A slower kind of culture, not, not, um, I don't mean that in a lazy kind of way. It's just, they're different values. You know, they're, I would say community and family, uh, although we we had great community and, you know, um, and things in the States, uh, that was probably, the, that was the hardest thing to, to leave for us, uh, our friends and uh, kind of the community we had locally. But uh, here, I think it's more a part of the culture, um, you know, for uh, the family structure and the people to be uh, more interested in relationships, like everything, at least when we're, we're in a small town in the Bay of Plenty. So we're not only are we in New Zealand, but we're in a small town in New Zealand. So, um, you know, it's just a, it's a different DNA. And in a, one, one of the ways we talk about it is, you know, America is such, uh, and you know, we, we, we love America or, <laughs> you know, we're, we, for us, the move wasn't away from America. It was just, we, it was a desire towards New Zealand, uh, at least for the season. And, um, but America is a real big story, a big story and a loud story. You know what I mean? And the New Zealand story is just a lot different. It's a much smaller story. And um, so it's just interesting. It's interesting to be in a, a different season and a different culture and, and we're enjoying it so far. That's good. That's a, that's a great way of saying it, the story. That's really, really cool. Um, how's your stress levels there? My stress levels are less here, you know, and, and, and one of the things that's interesting is um, I think even, even apart from just kind of the, the, the culture change, I think one of the things I've noticed is that for me, God's used this time to just the nature of any transition. There's so much that goes into it. So a lot of things um, sometimes, whether we like it or not, uh, get reset. <laughs> so, so it's been a really cool opportunity to, you know, uh, reset some of the habits reset. And, and even cause we still are involved in projects in the States and managing partnerships there, but, you know, e- even from a work standpoint, living here and still uh, having some responsibility in the States has forced me to think at a much deeper level and more constructive level about what's most important <laughs> to prioritize differently and to cut a lot of things that, you know, I just didn't even realize could be cut or needed to be cut, you know? And, and, and so that's, that's been one of the interesting takeaways for me so far. So I'm really enjoying that part of it too. You know, that's, that's interesting. You know, for us, as we kind of move to more of a nomad lifestyle, we realize we had to identify those things that we left behind. And it sounds like maybe you guys did too. And the reason I bring it up is kind of, a little bit funny, you know, I, I'm, we both met when we were building real estate companies and, uh, you were still in college at the time I was older and, uh, 
You know, if we talked about stress levels, I think maybe on the outside, we wanted people to think we were kind of cool and all that, but we were pretty high strung, weren't we? Oh yeah. And you know, I, I went to a military college, you know, and it's just like, that's, you're, you're designed to, uh, to just, to, to never, to never let the stress break you. So that doesn't mean it's good though. <laughs> Even if you can do it, it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. And part of it's, I think the culture win, and maybe that was, maybe that's one of the challenges of the American culture is that there isn't, there, there's always this, I hate to say never enough mindset. I had it. I know you had it and all of that. Yeah. So, you, you know, there's so many things I want to, I want to go into Jonathan, but before we go too much farther, I think, you know, I think you mentioned you'd listen to some episodes of early on with me sharing from our real estate business and things like that. And, I, one of the goals that I want to do is to kind of share testimony and, you know, not necessarily just faith, even though I know faith is a big part of your story, but I know that you built, uh, you're an entrepreneur, you're, you know, you go, go, go and do a lot. But back in the early 2000s, we were building real estate companies and that led up to 08 and, you know, a lot of things went on then, some of it by our own doing, some of it not, but I'd like for, I think it's valuable. In other words, I'm learning it's valuable for listeners to hear more about some of the things that people went through. And, uh, and I know you're not shy. You haven't hit it or anything like that. And some of it's pretty rough and raw. So I'll let you share what you want, but go back a little bit to the starting of your real estate company, the quick growth that you had, and then we'll follow up a little bit with kind of then what happened um, cause that was really your first business entrepreneur venture, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, we started investing in property, uh, when I was still at, um, at the Citadel in South Carolina. So after my junior year, we bought our first, me and a couple friends who, you know, Patrick and Dusty, we bought our first in investment property and we flipped it. And the, the short story is, I think we made 40 grand on that deal. And, I was looking at getting a job as an engineer coming out where we make 35 and I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Why would we do that? <laughs> we could do a lot more deals, you know? So that was kind of my introduction. And then we, we met uh, very shortly after that, really when we were in this phase of you know, how do we really accelerate the growth and, you know, start building a much bigger business than just doing a few investment properties. So yeah, we had a lot of, I mean, look, you know, starting anything new when you don't know it, there was a lot of, challenging parts to that in the beginning, the first few years. But in reality, those first, you know, five, six years, we, uh, we had a lot of success. Uh, we grew real quick. Our, our top year, I think we did 54 properties uh, that year and, you know, raised a lot of capital. That was, that was the thing probably myself personally that I always, um, for whatever reason, you know, I felt like I was really good at. We had a lot of, you know, success in that area. So it allowed us to keep, keep growing and growing and growing which all that sounds great and until you hit a market like 2008 and it's not so great when when you've just built this massive real estate portfolio and you can't sell real estate you can't refinance real estate your investors lost 40 percent of their money in the market they're not doing real estate you know what that's like sure so before we go into the real some of the real ugly something that i've kind of thought about myself being real estate guys during that time and you know, we coached, you coach, we had people all over. Mm -hmm. How much, this is a tough question, 
how smart and good do you think you really were during that time? Or how much were you riding a wave that a lot of people were doing or could have done? And that's kind of a tough question, but it's part of the analysis that I think we need to do. It's like, how good were we really in, during yeah. that time? Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, that market was was a ripe market. I mean, you know, looking back, you don't know it. See, I just started, I, when I started, the market was great. And, and we just had this, this you know, yeah, we put the hours in, we did the hard work, we, we aggressively grew, we did all that stuff. But in reality, you were in an environment where you could do that. You know, you, you couldn't do that in different industries, uh, even at that, that time, just weren't set up like real estate was at the time. So I think, you know, I, I, I think I think that has a lot to do with it. I mean, I think that um, I think it was a culmination of all those things, but it definitely wasn't that we were just you know the greatest investors in the world. There were a lot of people doing really well in investment if they're willing to put the time and the work and the education into it, you know? Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there was activity. We had to do stuff and things like yeah. that. So that kind of, before we kind of go into a little bit of how you handled the downfall and how it impacted your faith, family, things like that, I just I always like to ask people, how do you define entrepreneur? Because in many ways, I, w I think some of us always said we're serial entrepreneurs or, or, you know, we're not necessarily business people. But how do you define that? Because that's kind of what you are. When we get into some of the other things you've done and have yeah. fun talking about them, someone can say, oh, my gosh, this guy just he's done all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, um, the entrepreneur is the crazy person. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, I mean that in a good way. They're crazy enough. I mean, there, there's a certain gift set, I think, that that can go from zero to whatever, two or three or whatever that, you know, that that true front end, right? Um, obviously, a lot of skills can be learned around that, but it's a lot different skill set that's required to come in and scale a, a business operationally and put the process and the team and the management in place to really scale. But for me, the word entrepreneur, I, I associate it to the very front end of, of projects, um, companies, you know, that are being started and, and, you know, that don't exist and you go, you go create them. And, you know, um, it's funny. I was, I was literally having this conversation with someone earlier today, how just a lot of times that's a, that can be a very lonely place because the vision that's in your head and, and, you may or may not be successful. I mean, that's just a part of, there's a high failure rate. We, we know this, right? And so it's like, if people knew the amount of plays that you had to run to, to get one to work, I mean, sometimes you, you would never even venture in, but I'm glad, I'm glad that uh, we have ventured in uh, because some, some have worked and we failed plenty of times as well, you know? So that's kind of, I always think to the front end, I, I, I really like the word founder as well. To me, to me, um, you know, that can, that can, mean organizationally other kinds of organizations other than just companies but and, and one of the blog that i have the founder's guide to following god that really is kind of all about trying to trying to reach uh you know give information to people that are in that stage of of starting something uh from the beginning you know right yeah we'll we'll include that link in the show notes and i was going to ask you about that later the the blog and some of the other projects you have going but um you know you mentioned failure as an entrepreneur or as a founder as someone who starts things and and I think many times we start a lot of stuff and I think we start a lot of stuff because we like starting stuff 
you know what I mean? It's like we like to start. Sometimes we don't like the maturity of things necessarily, but that's a whole nother story. But uh, so so back to the real estate up up to 08, uh, things got pretty tough. You know, you and I kind of kept in touch through that yeah. time. Kind of kind of walk us through whatever you're willing to share about what all happened, what you went through. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're still, you know, you still look good. You look healthy. So you didn't lose limbs light. You know, the, you don't have that many scars, even though we, we do have scars we can't show people. So talk to us about that time. Yeah. For us, I mean, I guess looking back on it, kind of when I was going through it, I think it's just such a, it's such a hard, at least that, that failure for me, that, you know, I've had other failures where that weren't nearly as intense, but there was so much that went into that one. And, and I was all in just in real estate as I don't, I don't know if you fully were, but you were heavily exposed, you know, so it was kind of like, you know, the, the market just stopped working. So it was such a shock. Uh, so that was really hard. I remember that for the next year, I really was working out of the portfolios, trying to you know, work with asset investors on assets, you know, deeding assets back uh, if we could, working with banks to stop foreclosures. I mean, just all, all those type of things that were really the next year, that's what it was. It was just kind of managing through the, the downturn. For us, um, you know, we, moved, we ended up moving to Austin, Texas from South Carolina uh, right in August of 2009. So basically a year after, after everything went under. And, um, for me, I, I just had this, this mindset and, and I really, I couldn't see it until 2012, how some of it was just off that I didn't, I didn't even realize, you know, like I just had this mindset that, okay, well, we failed, you know, so my military mindset is we're going to go start the next thing and we're going to succeed. And I've done this before. I'm going to do it again where I don't know what, where it's going to be or what it's going to be yet, but, and eventually we'll, we'll pay back the debt that was because we went, you know, from a good a zero, we started with zero when we started our first business to a decent sized net worth that was all real estate rate to then negative a million and a half, you know, at the end of that. So, but my, in my mind, I was going to pay all that back and that's just the way it was. And really for me, um, I didn't even understand how much pride was just, just inherent in the DNA of everything around that. And, and I would never even ask the question. Like that was the one area that I didn't see until 2012 that like, I never even asked God if about bankruptcy because I didn't believe bankruptcy was okay. <laughs> I never, so I, so I didn't even realize I was doing it, but like that was the one area that was kind of off limits. Were you, you know I mean? were, were you, I hate to use this word, were you del delusional at all? Were you like, not even. Well, yeah, probably, I don't know if that's <laughs> Chase, the delusional part. But yeah. Okay, are, are you still okay. delusional? Hopefully we're in the positive delusions that are, that are you know, we try to stay the right lane of delusion. Well, I'm sure you've heard me say this because you've been around me for a lot of years. There's a term that I use, it's called thou shalt not fool thyself. I'm pretty sure it's biblical, maybe not in one scripture. Maybe there's a lot of scriptures that go into that. But, um, you know, there were a lot of things that we did with partners and things like that. I was just, I was fooling myself. Now that I look back on it, I didn't know it at the time. But, well, uh, looking back for me, what I think would have been a wiser decision is filing bankruptcy when it happened. 
So immediately reset because I didn't file through 2012. Okay. So I fought for four years to try to building my next companies and all this kind of stuff, trying to make it work. And it, it, it just never got there. And I finally reached a breaking point in 2012. Actually, I share in detail. Actually, it's funny that you, you bring this up, Tim, because when I started the blog, I really felt like when we and I wrote about 25 um, you know, episodes for the blog and then I, I was going to release it all, start releasing it every other week. And I felt like God was saying, you know what, the first one needs to be about bankruptcy. <laughs> That's the biggest story because this is the one that most people won't talk about. And this is what people need to hear. That's what he told. That's what he told me with this podcast. What's up with God? (laughs) What's up with that? Because here's the deal. Everyone, no matter, no matter what you've been through, no matter where you're at now, no matter where you're going, if you haven't experienced failure yet or hardship or whatever, however you want to define that yet, you will in this world. That's, that's part of this world. Now, some of that comes from, the mistakes I've made, some of that external environments, a market crashing, a lack of wisdom in the area, whatever. But the point of that is like, you know, that's the reality. That's the reality that, that is part of all of our stories. And if we're not willing to talk about that stuff, then we can't have these, these real conversations where, you know, cause when I have a real conversation like that with somebody, that's when I receive wisdom. <laughs> when, when we're having a conversation about the reality, not just the surface level stuff that, you know, you can kind of hear about anyway. So, you know, I, I think it's so important to, to go there, you know, uh, to, to press into that, uh, even when it's uncomfortable and really kind of see what's behind that um, kind of at a heart level and a mind level and just relationally with people, you know? Sure. So, so from nine to 12, you were, kind of living in a, it's going to be okay. I'm going to rebound. And I was too, just so it's, you know, you and I have a lot of parallels. That's I think one of the reasons we've always been drawn to each other. And many times iron sharpens iron and we always like to compare notes and things like that. Very similar thing. So now um, you had a family and children during these three years. Um, Tell me about how it impacted your family. And I've shared a lot of this in previous podcasts, but Tell us yeah. how, I mean, you're survived, your, your family's still intact, which is beautiful. You had a beautiful family and how did they handle all this? Um, so our, so JD, our oldest, he's nine years old now. So that, so he was just, uh, he was born in 2000, not, uh, 2010. So, you know, he was, we, we didn't have kids when we started the process. Then we got pregnant shortly after that. Um, for us, it was a hard season just because we were going through something so difficult together. Um, one of the one of the funny things that that Ann and I just laugh about when it comes up is that literally, so we moved to Austin in, in 2009, and then there's a lot of storyline in Austin that I'm not going to go go down that road right this minute. But you know, so, some some crazy things happened those first couple of years. But I'm basically just kind of doing consulting, doing a deal here and there, kind of making it month to month, you know? Right. Cause you, cause and, you didn't uh, have an abundance of finances. You had people coming after you probably wanting some money and. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. We were just fighting to survive, you know? And um, so, but we, we just kind of, we kept making it. We, you know, we do a deal here, a deal there. I, I had this vision of kind of my thought going to Austin was we're going to build this M&A merger and acquisition firm that was kind of focused on helping to raise capital for founders that were kind of the size company we were before we went down in real estate. 
because I kind of knew what it took to get from the zero to that point. And, you know, I think if I would have handled the financial uh, side of the business better and would have de-risked earlier in the process, I don't think we would have suffered as bad, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So anyway, that was kind of what I was going after in Austin is, is, is that type of client to, to help those, those groups raise capital. So it, when, when we started going through the hard part of it, it was still very difficult and month to month for a while. But when we finally decided to file bankruptcy, and I'd actually um, encourage people to check out the blog for the full story there. But the, the short version of it is, you know, we, we, we go through this process. We feel like we're supposed to do it. Okay. And one of the funny things was at the, the we finally got a babysitter. It was one of the first times I think we got a babysitter in Austin and, because we had to, we had to get a babysitter. We had to spend the money, get a babysitter because we had to go to the bankruptcy court. We couldn't take the kids with us. You know, so we're, so Ann and I are sitting there having coffee and like we were, it was great. It was one of our favorite dates and it felt so freeing because we're like going to the bankruptcy court and it's this huge release of stress of like, Oh, this part is over. Like I don't have to, it's not on my shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this season's over where it's time to move on. And there was, it was interesting um, that, that we look back on that as one of our favorite dates we've had. And it was, you know, what a lot of people would say that'd be the worst time, which it was, but for us, it was the time where we were actually being set free. So it was one of the more empowering times at the end of that part of the journey, you know? To deal, um, that is interesting because we, you know, we didn't have to get a babysitter, but I do recall going to the bankruptcy court and not, it's not, I won't say uh, it's not the most edifying and, uh, you know, deal with, did you deal with any guilt, shame, uh, remorse? I think for me, that's, that's, that was the driving motivation that I was trying to avoid the entire four years that I was fighting to stay out of bankruptcy. (laughs) I mean, that was what was underneath, you know, my biggest fear, you know, in reality was the fear of failure and letting people down. Mm-hmm. And, but I needed to go through that and deal with that once, once it was, once it had happened so that I could be healed and I can move on to what was, what was supposed to be next. Is, is, is part of that what other people might think of you too, you know, kind of a hard charger success oriented guy. Oh, that's, that's yeah. That stuff's deep in, in the DNA. I mean, and I think, and that, I mean, it's interesting because not until we moved to Austin did I start actually getting around some people who dug a lot deeper into these areas. Because until I was in, you know, my 30s, I never really kind of went into the introspective side of like, you know, why we do the things we do, how our personalities are developed, what does that mean to people and teams we're working with now, and just kind of, you know, just getting more understanding around that so we can continue to see where how we can grow you know? Sure. And I know you're a man of faith. I know, you know, and y'all are, uh, have strong belief. What about that process? And then we'll move on because there's much more exciting things to talk about. But what about that process was a challenge for your faith? Um, with, uh, so before, during, and after, before, during, and after, because, because similar to you, I kind of had this you know, the scriptures, you're, you're not supposed to, first of all, go into debt. And then secondly, you know, bankruptcy and different things like that. So was there anything like that that you had to work through or? Um, 
I think the thing for me, the big thing was not because I didn't understand it until I got to the point. So I finally was humbled to the point where I was willing to really talk with God about filing bankruptcy. That's, that's when, that's when I realized how, how off I had been in that area, if that makes sense. Um, and I, and I think that, yeah, so, so yeah, that was where the biggest, again, and I never even saw it until, until 2012. I just couldn't, I was blind to it. You know, I had my, my idea of what the right way to handle this was, and it wasn't doing that, you know? And it wasn't working and things like that. And, you know, part of it, there's a lot of lessons that we learned about operating within the Babylonian system and the kingdom and different things like that. But all right. So somewhat of a clean slate, 2012, and you begin moving on and, you know, you were doing a lot of things uh, in the Austin area. One of the coolest ones to me that I'd love to hear more about is is the mining, the gold (laughs) and things like that. I think that would be intriguing to some people, but what other things were going on there? I mean, you were, were you scrambling? Did you have a plan? Were you just seeing whatever door would open? I mean, how does one start moving forward? Yeah, I think, I think it was probably a combination of all that. I mean, for me, I was already uh, as, as much as I could trying to move forward, um, you know, before I actually filed the bankruptcy. So the bankruptcy for me, I'd already started uh, our next company with a partner. Uh, We started uh, a company called Noble Mining. And kind of the way that came about was um, a friend of mine in Austin, uh, Jason, he was, he, he came out of the precious metals brokerage business online and he wanted to move into the physical mining. And um, he brought a project to me in Alaska and I looked at it and I thought it was a great idea. Let's, let's go, you know, check it out. We went on a trip, did some diligence, came back and put a capital raise together around it. Um, it was one of those deals that it took longer than we expected on the front end to, to actually get it funded, which, which is funny because, you know, we've, we've fundraised for a lot of projects, a lot of our own projects and then helping clients as well. But um, some, it's just weird. Some, some deals, you know, uh, I've had some deals literally where we've, we will sell the investment in the first meeting. I have one, one like that, you know, the full subscription, first meeting deals. Done. I'm thinking this is going to be a 120 day process, you know, and then you have some that you start and it's like a year later, you finally get the traction that you're trying to get, you know? Um, but yeah, that was, we, we started that. We raised some growth capital. We went and acquired three mining properties, two in Alaska, one in Northern California and, uh, started, um, shipped, uh, barged a lot of equipment up, uh, from Seattle and, uh, went into operations as a gold mining company. So that was, that was quite the adventure. It's like funny. I don't think about that one as much anymore because I haven't been involved with it actively for the last probably six years or so. But uh, yeah, that was a crazy, that was a crazy one right there. (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, I actually came in around and was hung out with you guys some there and, uh and it kind of gave me a glimpse to a little bit of reality TV. Tell about how. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Well, one of the things that happened, um, my, my partner, Jason, he, he had um, just met uh, at a show previously, a big expo in Las Vegas. He had met some of the guys from, well, at that point in time, the first season of a show called Gold Rush on Discovery, which a lot of people have probably seen for a number of years. It was, you know, 5 million viewers a year, the top show Discovery's ever done, et cetera, et cetera. 
So we actually start working with Discovery. We put a storyline together that they thought was great for a show uh, for us to get involved with the guys on Gold Rush. And we came in and, and basically funded those guys on TV to where they could get to their first million dollar season. And uh, Jason Otteson, if you've seen the show, is on uh, on camera. He's the Texas investor that's going up and um, yeah, represent Noble Mining, our company. So it was, that was a lot. I'd never, I'd never been in around television before, but that was a, that was a fun little uh, stint as well, doing a couple shows there. So what's your thought? You never got on camera yourself, but what was your impression of the television reality TV world? I noticed you aren't in it currently, but well, give us, give some, yeah. give some people some behind the scenes without revealing too much. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's just, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, it's, you know, and, and some of the, um, you know, uh, some of this is, is, it's really interesting to see the economics and the business side of, of how those deals work because, um, you know, the first few years for the, the groups usually that become kind of good shows, you know, it, they don't make a lot of money, but once, once they get that publicity behind them and the, and the viewership, I mean, it's a very lucrative business um, opportunity for them. So for us uh, on the mining side, it was, it was really helpful because it helped. I mean, we were on TV in front of 5 million people promoting our brand. Uh, we had just started the company in the previous year and it really helped us get a lot of opportunity flow and interest uh, in, in Noble. So that was a really, that was why we were involved with it. And it worked really well from that side. But, you know, look, I wouldn't want to be a reality uh, TV uh, star myself. Uh, I, I'll, I'll stay off the camera and, 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 and do deals and, you know, be in the background. Live, live the nice stress-free life in, in yeah. New Zealand and also anyway, well, that's, that's good. So yeah, I, I wanted to hear about the noble mining cause that was cool. Cause then, and then that's really around the time that you really started creating some of the structures that you have in place now uh, yep. with your, yeah. your companies that you have before I, I do want to, I do want to go over cause there's some technology and some things you're involved with now that I think maybe it could be helpful for the listeners. And there may be some people that may want to engage with you that listen in, but uh, something that I like to talk about business people, entrepreneurs and people of faith with is I like to try to kind of dig deeper on their beliefs about money. Because, as you know, we spent some time in Bible school. We've been around a lot of churches. You've been around churches all over. And I noticed that money and followers of Christ and business, and maybe that's one of the things I want to bust up a little bit with this podcast. Sometimes those things don't mesh well. And uh, so talk to me. I mean, maybe go back, you know, when you were starting your first business and then as you've gone along. What does Jonathan Patton believe about money? Mm -hmm. Well, um, yeah, I think for me, um, you know, there's, there's been a group that I've been involved with for the last nine years uh, that's had a, a really profound impact for me in my journey around money. It's a group called Generous Giving out of the States. Uh, and then the international version is a group called Generosity Path. And basically the DNA behind that um, is, you know, really approaching this topic of money. And what we do, we actually, we launched Generosity Path New Zealand here when we moved here a few months back. And uh, it's really cool because what we do is we get together groups of um, 
people that have some means and we talk about this concept of money, but the, the kind of the ground rule is you can never raise money <laughs> in this, in this environment. And you can't ask for money if you're in a nonprofit kind of role or anything like that. So it's really interesting. So the whole point is we go through experiences and share stories around money and just see how God uses that around this topic of generosity. So for, for me, when I got involved with that about nine years ago, it's the first time I started really to explore what I actually believed. I mean, I probably before that I, you know, I would, I tithed to my church. I was a part of my church, you know, leader in different capacities, but it was just kind of like a thing to do. And I thought that's, that was kind of the extent of it versus moving to, you know, um, and it is a journey. We're all on an individual journey around this topic. So one of the things we like to talk about is, you know, my journey and where I'm at with God and on the journey is all about my relationship with God. And it's not prescriptive. Like when I, what God's asking me to do, he's got something that he's asking you to do and others to do that are individual messages and kind of ideas for them based on where they're at. But moving from kind of just this, you know, tithing being a baseline to just the idea of stewardship to where for me, it's not even like the money's not even my money. <laughs> so as crazy as that sounds, my job is just to manage whatever, whatever resources I've been giving money, relationships, et cetera. Like I'm just supposed to do a good job, do the best I know how to do with those things. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's such a, that's such a hard area, especially with, you know, I mean, the expectation around that as an entrepreneur, you know, just the, 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 you know, the, the natural kind of inclination and the reality of kind of the world, in my opinion, is just set up to, you know, promote this idea of success, um, whether you're successful or not, at least until you get to that point, <laughs> you know, that, that, that was, that's taught in a lot of circles, you know, you fake it until you make it right. That's, that's the idea you learn in a lot of personal development. Well, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I, I believe after all my experience now, this like, you know, we don't have to fake anything, <laughs> you know, like they got, I'm actually not in charge of this. I have a job to do, but like th there's somebody else that provides for me and it's, it's not me. So I want to, I want to do with excellence what I can do, but that's, that's my role, you know, and it's, I don't, I don't have to perform. Yeah, that's good. You know, you used a couple words, excellence and stewardship. Stewardship was on this podcast, everything that was like season three, we talked about being a steward yeah. leader over yeah. everything, people, because you're a steward over your business, you're a steward over your family, you don't own them, you yeah. know, and you're just, you're a caretaker, basically. And that's a great attitude. I do not think that I had that attitude about money and possessions in 2002, three, four, when we first met, did you? Um, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't even understand. It was, <laughs> it was a know. paradigm that I didn't know what new, what new, it wasn't on my radar. Right. You know that's, what I mean? Yeah. And that's part of yeah. our growth process. So another question that I like to ask people that are in positions like you're in, do you separate out, do you segment your life? Like you got business, you have ministry, you have family, uh, I've interviewed some people recently, and 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 one thing that I've observed, people in a role like you, it's it, there is no difference between the two. Can you talk about that? Well, well, what do you mean? I guess what what do you? Mean? Well, well, some people believe that 
in the in let's say the followers of Christ world that the ultimate mm-hmm. is to be a, a pastor in a church oh, and that's how you yeah, could yeah. best serve no, the world and <laughs> and then you know business people stay in your lane ministry stay in your lane you've done Haiti relief work you've done you know you've done a lot of stuff for the kingdom mm-hmm. yeah I don't perceive that you separate them out no no um no, I, I, uh, I certainly try not to. I mean, I'm sure at times I fall into doing that a little bit, but no, I, I mean, look, my, my DNA for better or for worse is to, is to seek God and try to just follow the leading of the spirit. Obviously I'm, I'm in the word daily. That's, and I'm, I'm, I am very disciplined. I, I'm very, I'm very anal about like doing the best I can at the same time, detaching that from, I'm, you know, I'm not, it's not on me. Right. So, uh, for, from my standpoint, no, I mean, we, 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 we built, we spent five years building uh, sustainable agriculture operations in Uganda. That was simply because we went on a mission trip. There are people dying of starvation in the church. And we said, and the pastor asked if we could help by creating jobs. And we had no idea how to do that, but we said, we felt like we we're supposed to. So we, so we did, you know, and that, and we came back to the U S we started a nonprofit, we started raising capital and we, we, um, we launched that and, and we're able to do uh, right at 20 projects, um, digging 20 water wells, irrigating acreage and developing some sustainable farming operations for the church up in Northern Uganda. So, so that, but that was just how God was leading at the time. And so that's, that's what we went and did. Um, and we've got a number of cool stories like that now. Um, one, of, one, of, one of the most exciting ones recently was um, one of the guys, I, I, I felt like I was supposed to try to get on a trip with me to Uganda. It took me about a year to do it, but he ended up coming, a guy named Heath Hale. Um, and one of my favorite guys in the world, he um, is in Austin, Texas. And Basically, God starts this process with him where he, he, he says, look, you know, I want you to use your gifts to, to raise way more capital for the kingdom than you do in your, your auctioneering business. Because he, he, he had a business already where he raised a lot of money. He was actually the top guy in Austin, probably in the States, for raising capital for nonprofits. Raised between 20 and 30 million a year at events, doing events, live events, right? I went to one of those. Yeah. I, I popped into one of those, I think, when I was in Austin That's a couple right. of years That's ago. That's right. Yeah, you were there. You were there at the first one, Tim. Um, so we, you know, we just start, we just go. Like if we feel like, you know, we're supposed to do something, we, we I try whatever I can to just say, say yes to God. And then what happens is, the, the door opens or it closes and we just see what the next step is. But long story short with Heath, you know, we've, we've now launched the bless foundation. We're in year three, um, over a million dollars a year has been raised for the 1040 window where we're getting behind five charities a year, just getting money into some of the hardest places in the world to actually, um, do the kind of work, the, that they're doing. So, so yeah, but that all came from man feeling like supposed to help this guy get this off the ground. Uh, that was a deal where I wasn't the founder, I wasn't the entrepreneur, but I was supposed to mentor and help and come beside and and do whatever I could to help get his deal off the ground. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, tell me, let let's jump to trivium here. We've got a few minutes before we need to start wrapping up because you and I could talk for a few hours here, and and uh, we we want to try to keep it to where we can allow people to listen in on this, but. Um, You've got some cool new projects, and I know some of them have some technology involved, and 
and we'll include some links if anyone wants to follow up. But tell us what's going on with Trivium and what you're doing and maybe some of the new, you know, the new offerings that you guys have. Sure. Yeah. One of the interesting things um, with Trivium, because even, you know, so now transitioning to New Zealand, <laughs> you go through a transition, you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, how, how is this going to, how are we operating now? You know, like what is it? And you, and that's a simple way to say it, but you go through this process daily, weekly, monthly of, of transitioning. So one of the big transitions for us is we've realized, you know, and that was one of the things we felt like coming to New Zealand too. We were, we had already started doing a good bit in Southeast Asia and we felt like that was going to be growing. And so we loved the idea of living here being 10 hours from Singapore versus 27 when I left Austin with connections. But the, the point is we've transitioned to a global, uh, we're actually about to rebrand as Trivium Global, uh, a global firm, advisory firm. And what we do is we focus on brokerage. So capital brokerage, capital raising and advisory services to help founders prepare for fundraising. Um, that's one of our, our, our verticals. The other that uh, we've really been growing the last couple of years is international distribution. So a lot of times when we get with a, a founder who's wanting to scale internationally, but really doesn't know how to get into some of the target countries, if we have strong relationships in those countries, we'll, um, we, we can create a partnership, go in and kind of walk them in the door at some of the top levels. Um, and that's, that's what we did with this company, uh, GenXcom. Um, how we got engaged with them is, you know, they've got a very compelling technology um, in the telecom space. And I won't try to explain the tech, but the bottom line is they created a photo, uh, basically a, a chip that uses light to process data. And so the application for that makes it basically a thousand times faster than the current model. And they've already signed uh, contracts with some of the largest telecoms in the States. And now they're trying to go to market internationally. So we took them to Telcom Indonesia, uh, which has 220 million users. Uh, we took, went to the top there, went into diligence on the big contract. And um, through that, got the opportunity um, to participate with them in an investment with BMW Ventures and Intel Capital, which is uh, going to be a $30 million fund round for their Series B raise. And we're participating in up to 5 million of that. So, so it was kind of interesting how, you know, the international distribution really turned into an investment opportunity. Um, and that's kind of why we focus in those two areas in Trivium uh, to answer your earlier question of what we're doing there. Yeah. And kind of a, uh, obviously that has a lot of sexy factor to it, but that's also going to impact some of the 5G. I mean, isn't it going to be in that world is where you're yeah. thinking? It's a, uh, you know, it's the, this technology really empowers 5G uh, in the development of 5G. Um, it's, if you think about it, it, it just, it, it provides uh, a faster framework that the 5G can be built on uh, and other applications, but that's, that's really kind of the basis of the technology. So, so yeah, we're excited about it. It's a, it's a compelling, uh, compelling opportunity and uh, it's one of our current offerings. Yeah, that's exciting. I enjoyed reading up on that. A uh, couple questions before we wrap here. You mentioned something earlier about, uh, you know, in the morning, some things you do. And I don't ask this of everyone, but I'm just kind of curious. Uh, do you have a morning routine? Do you have something that you do pretty dogmatically most mornings? Yes. Yes. Is that something you can, can you share with us a little bit about it? That's a nice way for me to answer. I'm the other way to say is I'm, I'm anal about it. Like I cannot start work. Well, I want to, I want to, I want to tie a couple things together. When y'all were doing your move 
and you mm-hmm. said y'all were a little off getting things in order. Did it mess that routine up? Because I noticed that a little bit with our RV mode of travel. Yeah. When I when I do a little travel and I get out of my routine, I have to yeah. work hard not to get, I hate to say this, grouchy, grumpy, or whatever yeah. word you want to use. I mean, yeah. it sounds like you might be similar. It makes me feel, I don't know if I should yeah, feel no, better. Exactly. I, I remember <laughs> sometimes, no, I remember sometimes where we, you know, we were in the transition and I, I just wasn't in my normal environment and wasn't set up in a new environment yet. And it just was felt a lot, lot harder. Kind of, for me, it's a checklist. It's just a daily checklist that I go through. And it's about seven or eight items um, that I've developed, you know, over a good bit of time. But they're kind of the most important things for me personally, spiritually, and on a business side, the things that I want to make sure I'm checking daily. Um, and, and some of it, some of it doesn't change from day to day, but it's just the habit of checking it. And so I go through this process literally even if I, if I get start, I, I get up pretty early. Usually I usually wake up, you know, four or five in the morning and I'm going and I go to bed earlier at night. That's just my rhythm. But even if I don't, if I get up late the way I, I am not comfortable until I go through my checklist. <laughs> so for better, for worse, you know, um, that's what I do. And, and, and I, it is, it is very helpful though, because you know, what I'm, what I've done in advance is I've decided what's most important and I I'm, I'm committing, you know, I'm, I'm putting in the effort for my side, whatever discipline I can put in to say, this is what's most important. And that's been refined over the years, but I'm going to invest here first because this is what I believe is important. And it really is, that's driven from my values. Sure. Can you rattle off? Can you share some of the seven with us just real quick? Yeah. So, I mean, the first, the first thing I lo- literally number one is read the Bible, spend time in prayer. That's, that's number one. So some, some mornings that's a, a bigger, like this morning I was up early. So it was like an hour of that. Uh, sometimes I feel like I have I'm behind and it's five, five minutes, you know, that's just, but I, I, that's, that's number one. Number two is, is health. So um, the way I do it is I work out, I try to work out five to six times a week. Um, but it's just the, the, the checklist uh, trigger is just schedule the next workout. So I'm, I'm making sure that there's either a time today uh, or if I've already worked out normally I swim first thing in the morning. That's my normal 6am workout. But if I haven't done that, or if I'm doing something different that day and I'm going to run in the afternoon, I put it on schedule. So number two is, is, is that Um, number three um, I start getting into more specific um, like I review the assets that I'm in charge of. So I just have a list of assets that because of stewardship, like, I feel like if I'm not doing that daily, not that there's always an action tied to it, but I need to be thinking about, hey, is there anything out there that needs to be done with these assets? So I review the asset personal financial statement. Think of it that way, you know, each day. Um, yeah, and four, five, six, seven, you know, uh, get into some more detailed checklist. Uh, here, I'll, I'm, I'm actually... Tim, for you, I'm going to pull up my checklist. Oh, my goodness. We're about to get behind the curtain. Getting the daily (laughs) checklist. Awesome. It's crazy. Yeah, give us. So um, then I I go through a, I'll go through just a habit checklist. So there's like one habit that I'm always working on, trying to improve on. So the question is, did I do it the day before? What's What's the habit you're working on right now? The habit I'm working on right now is, have you ever heard of a book called The One Thing? Yep. Yeah. So that's one of my, one of my favorite books. And, you know, the whole premise of the book is just really 
really reverse engineering down what's most important long-term goal wise and then in, down into what are what actions we take now and then managing your schedule in a way where you're investing his recommendations at least four hours a day into that so that's that's my thing right now is getting and that that's one of the things that slipped during the transition tim so that's why i've focused back on it i used to do that very disciplined when i was in texas in the office and then i got away from that and so now i'm, I'm focused on it again Right. And so, so the one thing for me right now in my roles is raising capital for active partnerships or clients. So four hours a day, I'm, I'm investing that energy into making sure um, that I'm working with my relationships and, and more so than that, I'm empowering our team members for them to be interacting with any kind of fundraising relationships. So that's, that's the next thing on my checklist. Um, yeah. So from, from after that, it, it gets into a little bit more technical, like reviewing kind of the actual upcoming contracts that we're working on. Then I write out uh, the next, the next item, I write out my purpose statement daily. I write out my values daily and I write out my four top long-term goals. I, I write, I type them. When I say, write, I mean, type on my computer. And um, that's, that's my uh, checklist for the morning. Awesome. So how long have you been doing that? What's, what's, what's been your pattern for that? How many? I've, I've been on the checklist pattern for a couple of years now. Um, yeah, it's probably about two years. You know, I've, I've had different iterations of kind of this before and I'll kind of get in the habit of doing it. But what I've found is like, you know, that, that process, you know, takes me between 30 minutes and an hour, depending on kind of what all is on it for the day. And, but it's, it's the most valuable 30 minutes or an hour that I feel like I, I take because I know because all that's tied to my values. That's what I've already decided, you know, over a long period of time, this, these are my values and this is what's important, you know? Um, so I'm taking action on those areas and then I'm, I'm, I'm planning and I'm organizing around the things that are related to the actual work and output that, that needs to go out for, for us to do the right work we need to do, you know? Yeah, that is, that is so good. And in fact, it's interesting is right here at the end of the podcast, that could be for many people listening, one of the most valuable things that they've they've heard here uh jonathan i i I wrote down a question that i was gonna skip because we're short on time but i've got to ask it i know you've done so much you've seen so much you've traveled quite a bit what up to this point in your life has been your coolest life experience the coolest thing you've done traveled seen whatever i sprung that on you i didn't prepare you for that that's a yeah wow that's that's a big question um um, you know, I, I don't know. There, there. Ann and I have talked about we've we've done we've done, we've, been, we've done a lot of stuff. Um, you know, but th- this mo- actually moving the family to New Zealand's been the craziest thing. Right now, we're in the middle of it, so it's it's the most kind of front of mind. I mean, it's the thing we're most excited about now. You know, before that, I would have said uh, Uganda and the work we did there, although we didn't live there. Um, it was a huge part of our life and we're actually planning to go back later this year. We hadn't been the last couple of years. Um, but you know, each, each experience like that, um, if you're willing to take the step and go experience, you know, they, they're, they're like people, you know, they, there's a different personality and DNA behind it. So it's, it's hard for me to actually compare. They're just, they're valuable in different ways, you know, both good and bad. Yeah. It's part of who you are. And even, even I've come to terms with even the successes, failures, all of that is just part of 
what we yeah. become. And I think God's even spoke to me and said, we're going to use all that stuff. <laughs> you know, he said, we're going to use yeah. it. So, mm-hmm. man, so what a great conversation, Jonathan. Uh, what's what's next for you? I mean, just general or specific or whatever. What's next? Yeah, what's, what's next for us? Um, probably the big thing that I'm wrestling with right now, because I've, I've, I've had this vision for a while and I've been wrestling on, is now the time to really launch it, you know? Um, but there's a, there's a very specific um, idea that I know that God's given me and it's, um, the name of it's called Dangerous Catalyst. And it, it's all about kind of this, uh, the reality of um, exactly who we're talking about, who, you, who you're asking about, Tim, the, the catalyst, the entrepreneurs, you know, the founders, the people who are, you know, seeking and they're, they're going out and they're doing, you know, something that um, that's uncommon and that is uh, challenging. And, you know, that a lot of times is dangerous. I don't, I don't necessarily mean physically dangerous. I just mean kind of, you know, it's, it's going to be dangerous to some people. Like when you're doing what you're supposed to do, not everybody's going to like it. And, and, and that's just part of the calling, you know? So, so anyway, and, and, and who's the most dangerous catalyst that's ever lived, you know? So that's, you know, that, that's, that's kind of where the, where the story goes. Um, and, and we're writing, a, I'm about halfway through a book. Uh, that I've been writing around that. So uh, I think that's what's next. I don't know exactly the timing yet, but that would be my answer right now. Well, that that is awesome. And it is could be maybe a year from now, another podcast interview and, and something that you and I may need to speak about offline because yeah. we keep interviewing people that haven't been released at the time you and I are recording this that are going to fit into this category. And I believe a lot of the people that are going to be listening in are going to yep. be wanting to participate. So... Anyway, last mm-hmm. question, even though that you kind of opened a door there, that was really cool. The title is Seek, Go, Create. And Jonathan, there's there's a lot of reasons we came up with those names, but which one of those words jumps out to you and why? Seek, Go, Create. Um, well, I like all of them, <laughs> but I would say, you know, probably Seek, probably Seek. I think, I think you've got the sequence right, Tim. I mean, I think... I, I just think that's so important because see, see my person at one of, one of, one of my idols can be the creation. So if I haven't done the seeking, am I really creating what, what I'm called to create? That's, that's, I, I never even thought about that until a couple of years ago, but that the seeking so important. Yeah. Jonathan, this is, that is so good. This has been so enjoyable. I knew it would be. I knew that it would be. Thank you for taking the time. Tell your wife and children, thank you for being able to break away from, it's sunny where you are, it's dark where I'm at, I could see, but uh, thank you, thank you so much. I just wanna thank everyone for listening in. I know this has been so valuable and stretching in so many ways, and that's kind of our goal here on this podcast is to stretch us, allow us to think differently, and. We've definitely done that today, and I so appreciate it. And I just continue asking you as the audience to share and rate and and let other people know about this because I believe that Catalyst, like Jonathan, dangerous Catalyst, I, I do think it's a small number of people, but I think there's more people out there 
than we even realize. So thank you so much for listening and we will speak to you again on the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Seek Go Create podcast, a part of the SGC network. For those looking for excellence, moving towards success, and creating something new, we are constantly discussing bold new topics and ideas here on the network, so be sure to subscribe to be notified when we post new episodes. We look forward to sharing more with you next time, but until then, enjoy the journey.